Now, look here, Wallace. There's a rumour going around the corporation that you're thinking of leaving. Well, John, I have been getting offers. But, Wallace, you're not going to leave us. Remember, you're British. Dear John, what can I say? But what's the matter, Wallace? Aren't you happy with us? Isn't, isn't three pounds ten a week enough? Not quite, John. But man alive, you have a free copy of the Radio Times every week. <laughs> yes, there is that. Well, now look, Wallace. What, John? I've been given authority to offer you four pounds a week. And you can read the nine o'clock news at half past if you want to. And take your own time about Not it. Not so fast, Mr. John Boatry Snag. <laughs> That voice came out of a little ball of fat that sprang from behind a piano stool. My name is Neddy Sigun. What a memory you have. Not so fast. I said it as slowly as possible. Sir, you're the famous John Snag, eh? Known as the Mayor Sabrina of Portland Place. Now, steady, Sigun, or I'll ban your record on Housewife's Choice. <laughs> ambition in life right <laughs> he didn't have great ambitions but his one ambition in life <laughs> was to go to disneyland mm. and do something so heinous that he oh would be, my god he would be arrested by the disneyland <laughs> police and put it locked to that underground cellar that they talk oh, about oh right okay <laughs> is there a dragon in there and shit like that as well i don't know maybe mickey goes in with a kosh and <laughs> belts them if you um, scatter your loved one's ashes in the parks, I heard that's a, like you're immediately arrested and frog marched out and banned for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things yeah, the, like that. That's what he wanted to do. And I've lost touch right. with him, so he may well he may well be serving time in Disneyland as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, we're talking about Disneyland, by the way. By the yeah. way, hello and welcome to Goon Pod. Hello. Okay. Hi. Um, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Um, I'm I'm joined by my new best mate Donna. Um, Hooray! That, Donna, we, we have to stick to the form, okay? And I'm going to have to pretend that we haven't been yakking for the last absolutely ten, ten minutes, I, okay? Yeah. So I'm going to say I'm going to say Donna, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Tyler? Uh, I mustn't grumble. I mustn't <laughs> grumble. To quote grumble. Stevie Marriott from Lazy Sunday. <laughs> Ogden's not gone flake. We could yeah. do a, a whole other podcast about that as well. Great album. Great <laughs> yeah, album. brilliant. Stanley Unwin. Um, my dad, my dad also loved as well as the Goons. Oh, he loved. Yes. Sta- he loved Stanley Unwin. Oh yeah, loved Stanley Unwin. My my, as uh, I, I'm not going to break the mold here, but it was my dad that brought me to the Goons, and uh, uh, he loved Stanley Unwin and anything slightly off kilter like that. Vic and Bob, he loved Vic and Bob. He loved oh. the young ones, Pete and Dud. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? Actually, funny enough, um, former guest, in fact, I had him, he was on very recently, Jeremy Lim, who was a guest of mine, and he he came on and talked about, uh, recently talked about the Peter Sellers film, Two Way Stretch. Now, uh, Jeremy yeah. is, is, among other things, a comedian. And, right. and I know that he does a mean Stanley Unwin. He is a, a <laughs> remarkable, he's got a, it's his party piece doing Stanley Oh, brilliant. Unwin. That is quite uh, an achievement to do that, to speak like that. Yes. Well, I'd very much like an all flollop up the good pound listening. A very happy you knew. Hope all gathering most to amuse it and have a tilt the elbow or a glassy champaloo while singing bold acquaintance be forgotten. Never have a low down of mind. Oh, no. So, it's deep joy and a good thoughtless for a very happy 20 throw and good thruppence to all. Goodly by load. So, okay, so you've already, look, you've already preempted what I was going to ask you. So, you, it was mm-hmm. your dad that your dad that got you into the, the goons? Yes, yes. He had 
quite a lot of his vinyl collection was like Black Sabbath, Cream, Led Zeppelin, The Other Side, The Goons, Pete and Dud, um, Python, all of those. So it was throughout my childhood, I I heard them quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know quite how he came to The Goons. I assume because he really loved Peter Sellers and Spike equally, um, I'm assuming he probably got into Spike by watching, you know, the, the you know, his TV stuff in the 60s. Yeah, um, yeah, probably in the late sixties. <clears throat> so, um, was the Q series and happening yes. then? Yeah, yes. and I don't know if he saw Son of Fred or anything like that. But um, uh, he, and he also loved Peter Sellers. He loved because we grew up in Ealing, West London. I think the whole comedy thing was was quite big. He loved the Lady Killers and all those Bolting Brothers films, and mm. of course, he loved all the um, Inspector Clouseau films. And I do remember really vividly as a kid. Um, obviously, the, my first experiencing Peter Sellers was it was as Inspector Clouseau, and I think Two Way Stretch. You mentioning Two Way Stretch was on telly, and my dad going, "Do you realise that that guy there is Inspector Clouseau?" And it kind of blew my yeah. tiny mind, and mm. I couldn't I couldn't <clears throat> believe it, and it was almost like something went off in my head, and I thought, "I want to do that. That's what I want to be. I just want to be other people." And then I got into acting like obsessively yeah as a, as a kid and then went on to drama school but that that was the thing seeing peter sellers and i had other influences i'd like python like victoria wood rick mail all those people they all kind of coalesced and mm. i sort of they they all it was all comedians i i went to a quite a posh drama school <laughs> central the central school of speech and drama yeah which we we nicknamed the central school of screech and trauma <laughs> and uh, uh, and Laurence Olivier and Vanessa Redgrave and Judy Dench, all these people have been there. But I was so knocked out when I found out that um, Kenneth Connor from the Carry On films had gone there as well. I was more. Oh, impressed. I didn't. I didn't realize he'd 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 done legitimate training. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had a core workshop or something today we're doing iambic pentameter and <laughs> workshop <laughs> okay so I, I did actually reach out to you in the in the past and suggested that you might want to come on and Mm. talk about the show yeah you're a bit you're a bit reticent i think I don't, i'm not quite sure you just felt maybe it wasn't for you but then you you changed your mind yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I I just thought, oh, who's going to listen to me? Because I looked at the some of the people that have been on and I thought, who's going to listen to me? I, and it was just my own insecurity, really, thinking, oh, nobody's going to want to listen oh. to me. But um, and then I thought, well, you know, I do love comedy. I've grown up around it. You know, my dad was obsessed with with funny people and um and and so am i and yeah. a, a friend of mine actually he's a stand-up comedian hal cruttenden and oh, he's yeah. always running jokes by me he we were at drama school together okay and um so we've known each other for years and he's every other day it's like what do you think of this joke and that joke and i go oh that sounds a little bit like um you know well uh, owl stretching time you know a bit of sketch from monty Python, yes. and maybe change that or do this and he said you know more about comedy than i do and he's actually a professional so oh, um so i am a bit obsessive about uh, comedy really oh okay oh that's excellent excellent <laughs> and i know that i think chris shaw former guest yeah twisted your arm as well to a degree he did yeah he just said what you should do it you'll be fine just do it do it so Great. here i am i'm here okay and and uh, it's quite it's quite neat as well because uh the show that's gone out before this one mm. uh was uh, a, a special show where i counted down alan freeman style or not um <laughs> did you have top... the, do, 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 no no that's become tired and hackneyed yes right? yes um, <laughs> that's been retired and, when fluff died but uh but it was a top 20 listeners goon show episodes okay yeah and um okay. and the show that we're going to talk about today which i'll stop being coy it is the green slate story <laughs> um it it was number two on wow on that list. so uh i'm going to talk about you know about the show itself. I want to talk a lot about Greenslade as well because not mm. not not enough gets spoken about him. Yeah. Um, but I want to give you a, a bit of background first of all. Okay. 
the actual show itself was was broadcast on the 20th of December 1955 so it was uh, it was their Christmas episode yeah they do mention Christmas in in it don't they somewhere along the line well yeah it's and referred it, to and depending on the uh, the version you listen to it also has um it also has a quite remarkable Ray Ellington number <laughs> I don't know oh you... yes I think is it the one with the the barking yes yes <laughs> Bless Ray. I, my dad, I just remember the um, the needle on the stereo going when the music kicked in. And just oh, really? And go down. Occasionally he'd listen to it, but mostly I think after a while the the kind of harmonica was like, <laughs> it's like yeah, let's get to the, the funny stuff and he'd just skip it, unfortunately. But yeah, that is very strange, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I, I find if I'm going to skip any music, it tends to be Galdray. Max, um, I tend to listen to Ray more and more these days, and he plays. Right. He he does j- jingle bells on the Greenslade yes, story. That's yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and he's and it, the, the halfway through, he kind of breaks off and starts um, barking and <laughs> um, and sort of joshing with the band members, including Dick Katz. Right. Um, yeah. And he also spoils somewhat spoils Wallace's quip at the end. Where, where Wallace says that Ray Ellington is currently appearing at Battersea Dogs Home. Oh, but yes. Ray yeah. mentions Battersea during the song, so he's obviously just pinched that. Um, but it is quite remarkable. But um, in certain versions of the Greenside story that went out on transcription services or via transcription services, that song was replaced because it, it's very it seasonal. Seasonal, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so the, the Pick of the Goons version or edit of the Greenside story replaces jingle bells with uh the abc boogie from oh right from the whistling spy enigma <laughs> okay. um so pick that up and just drop that in uh which is a shame because it's it, it, it it's almost cringy the Ellington mm. jingle bells but mm. it's not quite just sort of stays on the right side of the line right <laughs> yeah what's going on Ray Ellington is now appearing at the Battersea Dogs Home. Ray Ellington is actually, his ashes are near Peter Sellers' ashes in Golders Green Crematorium. Yes. And his his plaque is right next to Sellers' plaque uh, there. Because I used to live in East Finchley and do the kind of, you know, which is like Goon Central, isn't it, mm. East Finchley? Mm. So I used to go up to Peg and Bill's flat and have a look outside and wander, go to Golders Green Crematorium. And, and there was Peter Sellers' Rosebush and Ray Ellington's there and lots of other famous people too. Oh. But yeah, it obviously meant a great deal to be part of that show and be, you know, yeah, be, well, uh, close to them. He, he he maintained. Well, they all did. I was going to say he maintained. Ray Ellington maintained, you know, close ties with the goons after the show ended. And yeah, you know, he would turn up on Parkinson with them. And That's right, uh, yeah. I've seen him on a couple of chat shows with Sellers and yeah, whatnot, you know, in the seventies, um, which is nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And it always, um, Peter obviously very famously said it was like the happiest time professionally in his his life doing the Goon Show. That was his happy place. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So it was broadcast on the twentieth of December, nineteen fifty-five. Mm-hmm. It's from series six, episode fourteen. Um, on the day it was broadcast, just just a bit of history here. Cardiff became the capital of Wales, okay. and and Harold Macmillan became Chancellor of the Exchequer. Right. Okay. Um, it was recorded two days before. It was recorded on the 18th of December, which is my daughter's birthday, by the way. Um, I looked to see what happened on that day. Not much apart from the fact that the recently late Ray Liotta was born on the 18th oh, of December. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, it was recorded on the 18th uh, alongside another show. They recorded two shows that night because obviously the following Sunday was going to be Christmas Day. So there wouldn't be recording a show right, that, yeah. that, that week. So so they recorded uh, this and they recorded uh, the Hastings Flyer Robbed, which was basically just uh, just retitled. It was it was the Pevensey Bay disaster 
episode. <laughs> they just changed the the title because um, the Pevensey Bay disaster had been due to be broadcast in November. They recorded it and and then it was shelved because there was a, an actual real ra- uh, rail derailment in oh. Milton and 11 people died. So <gasps> so they, they shelved that, that, that episode and just replaced it with a repeat of China story. Tonight's Zoom show was recorded before we had knowledge of last Sunday's rail accident. As the program was concerned with railways, we feel that listeners would prefer that it should not be broadcast at this time. We're therefore repeating a recording of a broadcast first heard on the 18th of January last called The China Story. Um, so, so, but yeah, so they just, they just, they re-recorded the Pevensey Bay disaster, changed the title, and that went out, I think, the week after the Green right. story or something like that anyway. Um, Spike wrote the script and produced by Peter Eaton and guest star John Snag. Yeah. John Snow. Um, <laughs> and I had no to... idea that, that he was so um, such a champion of them and saved them quite mm. quite a few times from being cancelled. I, I would have thought it was so popular. They, it was never under any threat, but obviously clearly was. Well, there were 30 plus complaints by senior BBC management over the years. <laughs> Did they not like Hugh Jampton and things like that? No, they didn't like the um, the anarchy or the The, the, the anti-establishment, yeah. Yeah. Because they were the establishment and this is, this group are very anti-establishment. Yeah. And, and to be Subversive. fair, I mean, Spike, Spike didn't make it easy a lot of the time. And also Peter Sellers was frequently threatening to leave and oh. was, was awkward. I mean, he was, he was just saying that because he was a bit of a prima donna, you know. I don't yeah. think he had any intention of ever quitting right. the show but yes yeah um <clears throat> you know what he was like uh he'd he'd go to bed with with one idea and wake up with a different idea the next exactly. morning exactly yeah yeah um speaking of sellers uh so the so this goes out in december 55 uh, around this time the lady killers comes out mm. in in, th- in cinemas oh, i love um, that film yeah which was, was obviously sellers big breakout role although he wasn't the lead he was um, yeah one of the gang but the again yeah uh, you mentioned Sellers and Two Way Stretch, and your father pointing out, you know, that's Clouseau. Yeah. You look at yeah. Sellers as Harry and the Lady Killers. You, you would not think it's the same actor, would no, you? Not at all. It's it's just um, it's incredible how you would change. I know that in that documentary um, about Sellers, the Arena one, yes, Harry Seacum saying, you know, he would physically change and become these people. Uh, it was yeah, the Lady Killers. It's just a, a a great. It's not a very showy performance, is it? And and two way stretch isn't very showy either. No, they're it not. just shows that it sort of he had this sort of innate confidence in his abilities. You know, everybody's kind of spinning around him really, but he's uh, he he's inhabiting the role already. He's becoming a, a really great actor. Yeah, and um, and I think it's probably. Not that film, The Lady Killers, so much, but The Naked Truth when he really mm. steps oh up. Oh my God, that mm. is a brilliant. When he loses it, that scene when he loses yes. it and goes, when the guy mentions East Ditch mm-hmm. and he goes, shut up about East Ditch. And he's, you know, it's really frightening. You really get a sort of insight into his sort of temper tantrums there. But yeah, and you, and you know who that old guy is that he shouts at? Oh, we. Uh, who is it? Who is it? Wilfred Lawson. And Wilfred Lawson, you may know. Do you know the wrong box? The film yes. Wrong box? Yes. Wilfred yes. Lawson is the decrepit old butler. Yeah. <laughs> is it the same guy? Yes. Oh, that's a brilliant fact. Yeah. yeah. It's not entirely <laughs> successful film, but I do. I love. I love Tony Hancock as well. So uh, he's well. Everybody's in that film, aren't they? I don't think Tony Hancock remembered he was in that film because <laughs> he was um, <laughs> he wasn't yeah he, wasn't he was on the source there. at the time yeah yeah oh mm. dear poor fella yeah uh, so and and around this time Harry is beginning rehearsals as Buttons in Cinderella which was uh, which was on yes. at the Manchester Palace Theatre um, also again you know I'm not quite sure of exact dates but it was around December '55 Peter and Spike recorded a special show for the light program called the listening room. Okay. Um, it's, it's Peter, Peter mainly doing, um, I think it's Henry Crun and uh, just, it's kind of like a desert Island discs kind of idea. Um, right. It's just, a, a, it, it, it does exist. And uh, still um, it, but, but the, the, the notable thing about it, it included the world premiere of I'm walking backwards for Christmas. Oh, how fantastic. Uh, yeah. Which Spike and Peter recorded, 
Ah, on the 28th of December. Okay, so right. that was that was after this. I'm walking backward for Christmas across that old Irish sea. I'm walking backward for Christmas. It's the finest of the included in in the this show the listening room which also included a, a dance with me henry which was um the b-side of unchained melody which was the unreleased goons <laughs> single produced by george martin oh yes yes i was i was thinking about george martin the other day because i was listening to the because uh, i love all the sellers um albums as well yeah and listening to the um Suddenly, it's a folk song, which yes. is hilarious. And you can with the the kind of the kind of leery West Country folk singer. And there's obviously more voices in the background. And I suddenly thought that really sounds like George Martin in the background. Mm. And it probably was. Probably was because yes. they didn't like hire loads of people to help out in those days. So they just got the you know George Martin and a couple of technicians can just sing along. You know, <laughs> I loved um, all that that stuff with Irene Handley. Did it was probably. Yeah. He obviously had so much respect for her because she wrote some of those sketches, didn't she? Yes, shadows on the grass. Yeah, that's it's so sweet and lovely, and he's so you can tell he's so warm towards her and so respectful of her. I'm thinking he wasn't like you know it, it was very rare to hear that in a way with Sellers. He was so every role was about him. You know, he wasn't a very good chooser of projects. Was he? People, I know people no. said that because he just look at the role and see what oh what can I do? How can I excel? And it wasn't about the the story or necessarily who we'd be working with or this would be a great experience it was all about how flashy is this role and what can I do with it you know Absolutely. but with her with Irene Handel he really um shared this scene with her in a way that he really didn't with other people at all so that that's quite special in a way I think and yes. I always I love Irene Handel she's brilliant she she is regularly cited on this show as one of the Aww. greats yeah yeah uh, yeah, I, I, my my first memory of her, of course, was uh, as the the dotty grandma in Metal Mickey. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> probably <laughs> me as well. And just seeing her and on telly and you know, like in the Rebel and stuff with Tony Hancock. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a famous story. I'll probably cut this out. I'd like to think it's true. I'd like to think it's true. So during the filming of Metal Mickey, or when they're when they're preparing, oh, God, <clears throat> on Metal Mickey, um, they were using green screen a lot. Right. They had Irene Handel and they were sort of talking through the process of filming and, and some young technician was was saying, right, so uh, Miss Miss Handel, we've got this technology called green screen. And mm. he started he started going through what it involved. And she sort of interrupted him and she said, Oh, sorry, dear, you're confusing me. <laughs> and he went, Oh no, 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 it's quite simple actually. It's quite simple. And she she said, No, no, you're confusing me for someone who gives a f- <laughs> i really hope that's true i really hope that's true oh my yeah. god oh that is hilarious <laughs> i i do love her i love you know the little detail because you can see it in like uh, later on with like julie walters you know with the sort of bra strap hanging down yes. and things like that little yes. details like that are so good um you mentioned your dad possibly saw or may have seen son of fred or show called fred um, yeah if he lived in the london area then he, he possibly did because um well certainly a show called fred was only screened in the london region oh, right. uh, okay. it wasn't networked it was on associated rediffusion okay yeah and the reason i mentioned that is three days after the green Slade story was broadcast uh, on television there was a screening of the dick lester show Okay, right. in which Dick Lester actually appeared. It was his own show. Okay. Um, and Peter, that was the broadcast that Peter saw and was so impressed 
for some reason, not quite sure, because I don't think Dick Lester was a particularly great performer. But anyway, Peter phoned up Dick Lester and asked if he would work with him uh, on what was to become the running. Um, well, no, no, um, no the um, uh, Idiot Weekly, Price Tuppence, which ah. was the which was the forerunner to a show called Fred, uh, and 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 that began early '56. Okay, right. So and, Richard, and- Richard Lester uh, directed all those. Yeah. Oh, wow. And aren't they most of them wiped or pretty much all of these things got wiped, didn't they? There's there's there's, a, there's bits that survive. There's we have fragments, covered, aren't there? There's fragments. Yeah. We've covered the sh- a show called Fred on this show. Yeah. Uh, in fact, with Jeremy Lim, who I mentioned before. Um, yeah. And there's there's I'm not quite coming by how many that there's there's possibly sort of four or five complete or incomplete episodes that survive. Um, and there's right. there's some audio of of one or two as well, I, I think. Uh, there's no uh, surviving episodes at all of the Idiot Weekly. No, um, no. I had a feeling that that just doesn't exist anymore. It's absolutely, yeah. it's awful, isn't it? It's just such a shame. Yes. You know that these were just, um, you know, they just taped over repeatedly, reused all the time, recycled, and you know, we obviously we lost um, most of not only but also and all those shows yeah. as well. I know. It's terrible. I know. Just yeah. in terms of these days, because of digitization and, and just technology, everything can be easily stored. Mm. Whereas whereas you couldn't easily store, you, you know, if yeah. you tried to keep everything, yeah. you'd, you'd need a, a massive warehouse. They probably had well, like a, a shed out the back of TV center and they just didn't have enough room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So imagine that you're Wallace Greenslade. And, and, you know, okay. and, and you, you turn up at the Camden Theatre on the 18th of December, 1955, mm. and you get given the script and you see that it's called <laughs> The Greenslade Story. Can you imagine? Oh, it's brilliant. It's such his, a great idea. Like yes. a star is born, but it's like a BBC announcer. Yes. He was on form as well. And <laughs> luckily, because he's very much front and centre, uh, but this whole show, I mean, the, the the premise is that it's yeah, like you say, it's the life of Wallace Greenslade. How did he become this this star BBC announcer from from such humble beginnings? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, the first sort of standout gag, which everybody remembers, is the um, Cambridge tie mm. scene. It's so good, yeah. Um, which... Still relevant, still relevant today, isn't it? <laughs> the old school tie that. You yes. Know, yeah. <laughs> wave the tie and you'll get a job as a producer at the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Spike was Spike was using that into the 70s, if not beyond, you know, that right. gag. Oh, because um, he was fighting them all the time, wasn't he? Yes. It's sort of it's almost as famous a goon show gag, if you like, as the yeah. um, what time is it Eccles. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but so Greenslade obviously is is has applied for a job at the BBC and he's there uh, waiting to be interviewed. And okay. In the script, let me just find the script. Okay. Cause Peter Sellers plays both the secretary. Yes. I love that character. And it's, I think in the original script, I haven't got it to hand. I thought I did. Um, the, the Peter Sellers, what would you call him? The, the chief announcer who's going to interview yeah, he's 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 interviewing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like a audition, like a like a auditioning for a part. It's yeah, very it's, much like that. He's down as I think something along the lines of pompous BBC announcer or something pompous man, <laughs> pompous man. I think pompous man. Yes, um, but, delicious. Yeah, but the secretary and Sellers as the secretary is on fire. Oh, isn't, isn't it's he? it's it's so specific and it's like he. This is what sets him apart, I think, from other people. Um, he, you you has immediately have an image in your mind of that character because it's so specific the voice you know that he's you know, he'd come across people and think well i'm going to store that in the memory banks that voice is amazing like like the guy who inspired blue bottle yes which is an extraordinary voice that man had Ruck, ruxton hayward ruxton hayward yeah mm. oh my gosh uh, but other, yeah, michael benteen sent me here yeah, it's just because he told me I'm a genius. That one, um, but uh, yeah, the um, slightly the haughty but slightly fruity kind of secretary voice is just fantastic. And, and 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 you wouldn't know. You you could be easily forgiven for th- thinking that to someone else. That's not Sellers. That could you know that could be completely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, 
and and that voice you, you you try and phone up for a doctor's appointment these days you you get that kind of <laughs> yeah receptionist don't you <laughs> the, the, the gatekeepers yeah, yeah. They're, they're the sort of you know yeah it's such a it's such a great character so small that it's just a throwaway character really it's only a few lines but yeah. you know so much thought went into it yeah the detail of it good morning miss I'm Mr. W. Greenslade. Oh, yes, you've come for the vacant post of an answer. <laughs> yes, I have. Do take a seat with the other applicants. Thank you. I sat down next to a man wearing a brass deerstalker, <laughs> white cricket boots, and a shredded cardboard wig. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Good morning. Wind like a variable. Pardon? Well, I said the wind like a variable. Oh, really? Yeah. Wind like a variable. I'm practicing, you know. Don't tell me you're applying for the post of announcer. Oh, yeah. And I'll get it too, you see. <laughs> I'm wearing a Cambridge tie. You? You were at Cambridge? Yeah. What were you doing there? Buying a tie. <laughs> Mr. Liddell will see you now, Mr. Eccles. Fine, fine, my good woman. This is it. Two thousand, two thousand pounds a year and a pension. That's Get out, you idiot! Wait a minute, wait a minute! You ain't even heard me speak yet. We'll write to you. Well, that's no good. I can't read. <laughs> but she, but she actually refers to the pompous man, mm -hmm. the interviewer, as Mr. Liddell. Says, right. Where did that name come from? Well, I'm thinking it's it's a reference to Alva Liddell. And Alva Liddell was another announcer, very famous BBC ah. announcer, who I, I, I may come to later, actually, mention again. Um, okay. But it's it's unclear, but I think he's meant to be Alva Liddell, uh, but it's never quite made explicit, if you know what I mean. Right. But, but again, but again, Sullivan's as this interviewer, particularly when he, when he, yeah, obviously he, he's he's unimpressed by Eccles and kicks him kicks him out within seconds. <laughs> um, that man, is that that man's got no respect for the dead. Yeah. <laughs> that man's got no respect for the dead. He has, yeah, that's a great line. Oh, and and, and Eccles, Eccles mentions his electrocution <laughs> teacher, electrocution <laughs> lessons, which which is an early memory. My dad used to say that a lot before I'd heard the goons. My dad used to talk about electrocution lessons <laughs> it is fun. You, when you listen back so many things that your dad kind of said that um that comes from the, like well my dad did too and it's so weird listening back now I can hear ex exactly the points where my dad used to roar laughing I can yeah. hear it in my head you know I have yeah. that memory yeah so that's quite nice I was going to say because I, I wrote stuff down like the very tenuous links like my family have to like various people involved with the good show. Yes. Because <laughs> um, my my grandma used to be landlady of the Gatehouse Pub in Highgate, and she actually barred Spike Milligan from her pub. <laughs> right. What, for, for for what sort of behaviour? I don't know. Maybe I. <laughs> Maybe he was just, he was a bit out of control and maybe he was sort of having a spiralling upwards kind of episode. Yeah. Or, or maybe he was just pissed. I don't know. And she just, he yeah. was, he was getting a bit out of control. So she, she slung him out of her pub. Yes. Well, he wasn't, so, he, he wasn't known for being a drunkard or a. No, or a he did not have that reputation, but maybe no. as I say, he wasn't, he was having a bit of an episode and. In those yes. days, people didn't recognise that and being a bit manic, maybe, and a bit, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, she, yes. she, she barred him. <laughs> but um, my dad also uh, had mental health issues and sort of had panic attacks. He had a real affinity with Spike. And often whenever he heard Spike was in hospital, he used to write via Norma Farns letters to Spike or sent him a card, a get well card oh. and get letters back from Spike. Oh, do you still have them? I have a couple in a frame somewhere in storage. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, if ever you 
when, whenever you come across them next, let me know and um, send me a picture or something. If, I will. If you yeah. Wouldn't mind that'd be fascinating. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a couple of them, and um, and my dad actually went to see Spike at a book signing when he was very old and frail in mm. Brighton when my parents were living in Brighton <clears throat> and um, there was a lady in the queue in front of my dad and uh, she had a sort of carrier bags of stuff and uh, when she got to the front she got out all these little dolls and she said oh my dad made these and they're all the goon characters and Spike was looking at them and saying oh my gosh they're wonderful <laughs> and he's saying uh, and he, this lady said my dad wanted you to have them but unfortunately couldn't be here today he's not very well and uh, Spike said, "Oh, what's his what's his name and address?" And he's writing it down. And uh, he said, um, "When I've finished here, I'll go and visit him." And you just know Spike would have done that. Probably gave the poor fellow a heart attack, you know, turning up on his doorstep. You just think, you know, Spike would have just, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, toddled off, you know, to, yes. with his driver or whoever it was, yeah, and, and gone to this guy's house. Oh, and I find lovely. that re really moving actually now because my dad is no longer here. My dad got a couple of books signed and you think he'd get them signed for himself. But both books are signed to me. Right. OK. Yeah. Um, which is quite moving now because I know my dad had panic attacks and it was a big deal to be in a queue waiting. To see, but it was uh, he wouldn't have done it for anybody else but Spike. And the fact that I he dedicated them to me is, uh, is uh, you know, it's very special. It's the Mussolini book and... Uh, one of the later books about his family, I think it's It Ends in Magic or something. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. So um, those two, I've got Spike's autograph. Excellent. There. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. So <laughs> Sellers says Mr. Liddell was very taken by Greenslade to the point that he he almost starts <laughs> going <crying>. into raptures. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Describe it. Delicious, isn't it? Yes. Delicious. It's like, because he's like so overcome with emotion. I must say, actually, in this show, they're all on form, but Sellers is particularly on form in this yeah, episode, yeah. I think. Uh, just capturing, like the, like we said, the secretary, Mr. Liddell, mm, and mm. then later, and I want to come, well, let's come on to him now. Let's, let's jump ahead, because I want to talk about Lou. Neddy, say, come in for me. Of course, Wall, of course. Come in, who is it? It's Lou. <laughs> come to say good evening. It's your agent. Oh, my lovely little Wallace. Ooh, you're gonna kill him tonight. You're a lovely boy. Ooh, you're lovely, making a lot of lovely money for me. Make a fortune. Ooh, that lovely talking voice. I'll get you Ed Sullivan TV next, I promise you. I'm his manager, you understand? Out the way, Seacom. You're finished. All that shaving and singing, it's all finished. On with the mozzas, it's all washed up. Now then, Wallace, 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 Wallace. Val Parnell's out front tonight, so do your best. I'll see you get a nice big bonus. Goodbye, my lovely boy. The guilt he's making for me. My dad loved that character. He didn't appear that much, but when he did, he was very memorable. Yeah. Um, obviously over-the-top Jewish character based yeah, on the, the Grade brothers. And obviously Lou, Lou is... Uh, Lou turns up as Greenslade's manager and he's just a force of nature. Yeah. Um, he mentions, by the way, I just picked up because we're recording this Saturday morning. I got up this morning, had a cup of coffee and just listened to the show again. Just to mm. kind of, Although, you know, I could recite it without, you know, I know it so well, but I listened to it yeah. again. And one thing I picked up, um, Lou is, is very dismissive of Seacom or Seagoon. Uh, right, yes. And Seekham's um, uh, talking about, he mentions On With The Motley. Um, on With The Motley was a, a single that Harry Seekham had put out in November. Right. Um, I think it got to number 16 in the charts or something. And <laughs> and and the character of Lou was very dismissive of that. Um, but, he's, but he's all over Greenslade and he promises Ed Sullivan TV. <laughs> and um, it just occurred to me that actually th uh, three of the goons have appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, Benteen, Seacom and Sellers have all appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Right, um, so Spike never appeared. I don't think he did, no. Okay. Um, must have been, I, didn't, I haven't had time to check because it was only this morning that this occurred to me. Um, Benteen appeared a couple of times, I think, in the very early 50s. Um, he, he, he was over there in America and appeared 
Now, Seacombe appeared in the early 60s when he was doing Pickwick on, on broad, Broadway. On Broadway, yeah. Yep. And also, um, certainly Sellers, he may have appeared more than once, but I know that he appeared on film promoting After the Fox, the film right. of After yes, the Fox. Yes, with, with Brit. The Lou character is borderline offensive, mm, I suppose. Mm. Uh, you, you you kind of give give uh, obviously you, you give them a free pass because Sellers was Jewish anyway. But still, yeah, um, yeah. But I do love that character. Yeah, um, great character. Uh, and um, but but circling back, obviously Ned has this school for uh, a private school for announcers. <laughs> 56 56,000 trainees <laughs> um, oh, dear. And, and the sad sad indictment is that Eccles is the star pupil um and I love that I love I love when they're protesting because they've obviously roped in the band to yes add some voices to That's, their protests yeah. mm-hmm. and, I, and I love and it's just a such a slight and it's always appealed to me such a slight little throwaway thing that you, you'd miss when they're when they're protesting and and Seagun kind of calms them down. One of them, one of the at the end goes, morning. We want bread, bread, bread. Please, gentlemen, keep up your spirit. It's just something about it just tickles me. Um, they must have absolutely <clears throat> loved like like the the sound effects department must have just loved doing the goon show. Yes, and the musicians just absolutely love it. Yeah, like the highlight of their week working on that show. They they love this. Yeah, and it's so important that all three, <clears throat> Harry, Spike, and Peter, were all very musical, because yes. you know music and rhythm is so much part of the comedy. Yeah, it is, and I can't remember when it was. I I, I posited the theory, probably completely wrong. Yeah, what you've just said there is, yeah, Seacombe, Sellers, Milligan, all musical. Benteen, mm. Benteen wasn't. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? That he didn't quite fit. Mm. Maybe, maybe there is a rhythm and a mm. two two gags, isn't there? And there's a there's a musicality to what they were doing, and sort of riffing off, but coming back to a central theme is very jazzy, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said you lived in East Finchley. I'm sure you've been. Ah. To, have you been to East Acton? I went to school in East Acton. Can you believe that? <laughs> I actually went to school in East, East Acton. Didn't experience any earthquakes though, ah. but I did. I did go to school. I went to a performing arts school in East Acton. Right. So yeah, that was yeah. Uh, so. There's a there's a, a little tenuous link there to this yes. to the Greenslade story as well. <laughs> no earthquakes. Nettie hires Grip Piper Moriarty to kidnap the BBC announcing staff. <laughs> there's a lovely little bit when Grip Pipe's then. Or sellers as grip pipes, then almost corpses. We must apologise for the break in the news. In the meantime, here is a record. Hello, folks. Wind like a variable. It's great those moments when he almost cracks up. Yes, it? it's magic. And then, and then we have. The, we he have says the... winds like to variant or something, doesn't he? That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> But we have the, the 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 standout sequence, I suppose, is the is the the two hander essentially between Snag, on uh, Snag and Greenslade. It's so good. Which is a, which is possibly I'm trying to think of a comparable goon show scene where mm-hmm. none of the goons are involved are in, it, in that, that for, scene for, for for two or three minutes or however long it is, and I can't think of a comparable scene. Uh, the BBC sends John Snag to persuade Greenslade not to not to leave um and it's just amazing and you can because because john snag had been or was at this time greenslade's boss as well in right. real life yes um so he so- comes crawling crawling to him <laughs> yeah it's great um I, lo- I love the bit when he's he's saying man alive you get a free copy of the radio times every week <laughs> <clears throat> and um he ups his salary to four pounds a week yes uh spike by the way was paid initially on the Goon Show eighteen pounds a week for writing and performing. Okay, God. so so I don't know with inflation. I didn't check how much that would be today, but you know, four pound a week, um, eighteen pound is not a huge hike from four pound no. a week, is it really? No, it's a bit pitiful, <clears throat> isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, he was always he was always better that he was paid less than the other two. 
spike you know yeah that's and what it cost him we all know you know what it cost yeah. him to 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 churn out those shows every week yeah um and the toll it took on him that is appalling that he was paid so little and less than the other two yeah yeah terrible grip pipe then comes along and uh offers greenside five pounds um <laughs> to appear on the stage is uh, it there isn't that much does he say yes like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. But they're really enjoying it. You can tell they're really enjoying that scene. So they would have had a sort of table read. They would have sat around beforehand and read through the script. Well, what, another... they, what they would do is they would they would arrive at the Camden in the early afternoon on Sunday. Mm. They'd do, the three of them would, well, and Greenslade and I guess Snag would do a, mm. a run through of yeah. the script without the orchestra, I think, and without the FX guys or possibly with the FX guys. Um and then they do another rehearsal with the orchestra, mm. and then they do the show in the evening. Wow, um, that's that's quite terrifying, but quite exciting, isn't it? At the same time, yes, you can yes. imagine that that rush that sellers. That's the thing that all of them. Well, I know Spike was probably different because he had other pressures going on, but sellers, you know, hand him a script and he could just let him go. He'd probably, yeah, that's that's why he loved it so much, obviously, because it was so exciting. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the great things about this scene as well is you can hear Sellers and Milligan in particular off stage, giggling, laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the end, um, Seagun offers John Snag Eccles, who he, t- he takes off on his tricycle, and we get to a bit where Eccles sings the th- the tune of the Man from Laramie, but it's become the Man from Coventry. Did you pick up on that? Did I pick up? I don't remember that bit, but maybe right. I didn't. Who's well, he, who's from Coventry? Right. Okay. Well, I just want to very quickly talk about Coventry here. Okay. Okay. Because because yeah. it's and, and we've documented this on the show before, so I won't go into too much detail because people people will know this. But in early early November to to early December fifty five, the goons had appeared at the Coventry Hippodrome in a series of shows. Um, I think it was marking the city's birthday. I'm not sure what birthday it was but it was like it was like a variety show written by by them by jimmy graft and eric sykes and larry larry stevens yeah um and they were also they were actually interviewed at the hippodrome for a home service program um and that was broadcast on the 18th of november well i'm here in the dressing room of the coventry theater now and here are the goons. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves first of all hello i'm young Nettie siegel what do we normally know you as how do you how do you do Hey, enter blue bottle in cupboard nature. Think. Rodden swans for getting me up on this rotten program. Think. I will exit left now for oh, no, further no, no. continued keeping. Just a moment. Who are you? I'm blue button. Well, one of the goons, aren't you? Mm, yeah. And how do we know? Uh, Peter Sellers. How do you do, Mr. Sellers? Hello. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do what? Yes, what, what is your ordinary name? Spike Milligan. I talk like that. <laughs> and? Like that? Yes. Um, like that. <laughs> and hello there, folks. Yes. The Coventry shows were not a success. Um, Spike, in particular, was really depressed by the reception they'd had from the, the audiences. And um, there's a there's a couple of famous stories. One that he stamped on his trumpet in frustration. Oh yes. Um, one that he'd tried to hang himself in his dressing room, although that was that's a yes, gag. I heard about that. Um, yeah, I've read about that. One that Peter Sellers was so outraged by the audience that he just went out and sat Put down, a record and on. played a record of Wally yep. Stott's Christmas. That's it. Yeah. Songs. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the Coventry experience. Okay. Right. And for some time after this. Spike would include these references to Coventry, very right. far from complimentary references. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, it's a byword for awfulness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like David Bowie and Croydon, apparently. Oh, what's that? He'll say, that's so Croydon. It's oh, like, right. Because to him, Croydon represented everything he hated and everything he was running away from. <laughs> right, okay. So this is a similar thing. Coventry was like, you know. Yeah. Well, in the original script for the Greenside story, there's a bit that either wasn't recorded or was never or was recorded but never included in the in the show. 
Okay. Um, and I just want to read you this little bit of script because it's quite interesting. Uh, right. So it's, it's at the bit where John Snag takes Eccles off on his tricycle. <laughs> and in the script, in the script, it says, it says, uh, next day we took Greenslade off on his triumphal stage tour, <laughs> Birmingham. And then it says grams, as in, you know, sound effects, big applause, yeah. whistles, big applause. Yeah. Whistles. Okay. Then Spike says, Bristol, grams, big applause. Then Peter says, Manchester, grams, applause with thunder driving rain and sneezes. <laughs> Harry says, Glasgow, grams, mad applause with bagpipes, of course. <laughs> right. And then Spike says, Coventry. Mm. And in the script, it just says, silence. Yeah. And then, and then, and then Graham's single sheep bleating. <laughs> I, th- I think most people that want to be famous, it's like almost like an act of revenge. You know, they just want to get back at everybody that's ever slighted them or every bad experience and use that in, in you know, whatever yeah. they are yeah. successful at. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that, 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 that's Coventry. Um, so he, he, you know, he never got over Coventry. He still was talking about it years after. Um, and I want to mention, by the way, there's also a, a callback to an earlier Goon Show episode, which I only picked up on the, the other day. Um, the bit where <laughs> Seagoon says, I've got a hunch and grip pipe says it suits, it suits you. Yeah, it suits you. Yeah. Um, and then, and then he goes on, grip pipe goes on to say to Moriarty, have you got a blackjack? And, and Moriarty says, no, mine's red. Uh, and grip pipe says never mind Eccles is colorblind anyway um <laughs> that's a callback possibly or it may not be a callback it may it may not be intended to be but <clears throat> an earlier show in the series foiled by president fred um uh. the, the 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 sort of penultimate scene hinges on the fact that Eccles is colorblind right okay, okay. Um, so i like the fact that you know and maybe i'm overanalyzing this but i like the fact that they <laughs> reference that again yeah um, that could well be or 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 could be like you know a bit like dickens you know spikes churning this stuff out and it's like you know there's no time to really to check that i've done that before and just keep going yeah. keep moving forward writing the script yeah but yeah. yeah it could well be a callback and that's part of their echoes you know makeup echoes backstory yes His backstory yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i want to mention the scene where Fallen on bad times, Seagun and Greenslade are outside busking on the street. Yes, yeah. Outside the Palladium. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 Snag comes up and doesn't quite recognize them and thinks, and he says, Are you Joel and Warris? Oh, yeah. And Wise? Now, we know Morgan and Wise. Do you, do you, had you heard of Jimmy Joel and Ben? I Wallace? have, yeah. Jimmy Joel and, uh, yeah, notorious. Um, what was the sitcom he did? Nelly Pledge. Oh and that? God, it was um, nearest and dearest. Yes, well, they absolutely hated each other, didn't yes. they? They didn't speak on. They didn't make eye. Co- they didn't make no. eye contact. They hated each other, didn't yeah. they? Very famously. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it must have been hell for the all the people, everyone else work, working on that particular show. But yes, Jimmy Jewel. I I haven't seen uh, footage of uh, Jewel and Warris, but I've certainly heard of them. Yeah. Like, well, do, um, do, do you like um, One Foot in the Grave? I, I I wasn't a regular. I mean, I've seen various episodes, but um, I, I didn't watch it regularly. But yeah, I know I know a, a bit about it. Right. Yeah. Okay. The reason I'm saying is because Jimmy Jewel, one of the last roles he ever had was in One Foot in the Grave. Oh, was he in it? <clears throat> yeah, oh. as a, as an old man. As um, an old, it must have been pretty old then. But it's quite a pivotal role in the particular episode because he because his character gets murdered. Would you oh, believe? I mean. Yeah. And the Morecambe and Wise reference, obviously, today, that would seem listening today or listening back in the, you know, when the LP came out mm. with the Green Side Story, you'd have thought, well, hang on, Morecambe and Wise are the biggest stars in Britain. Yeah. But obviously, yeah. as, ever, as everyone knows, not then, not then they had this 50, 1954 comedy show called Running Wild. Oh, the one, the, the box they buried Morecambe and Wise in, that famous. Yes. Boat, yeah. Yes, that's right. And didn't Eric... Yeah, because that was that was the scathing television yep. review, and yep. Eric carried a clipping of that review around in his wallet, didn't he, until yep. the day he died, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then there's a great there's a, look. I know, I know we've kind of rushed through this, but um, there's the, the 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 great sort of uh, denouement for the for the episode is is Lou bursts in when Eccles is about to go on stage, saying it's happened again. The audience have gone home. 
Oh yeah, um, my, my dad loved that line. They've all gone up and gone home. <laughs> loved that. I don't know why. It just really tickled him. Yeah. Yeah. And if you were listening to this, you know, at the time it went out, and you'd be looking at your watch, thinking, "Well, it's nearly nine o'clock, and Blue Bottle's still not turned up. What's going yeah. on?" And there is he. There is there he is right at the end. This is the BBC Home Service. Perfect, perfect ending, I think. Um, for one who was not, you know, Spike often struggled to end episodes, but this is a perfect uh, wrapping up, I think. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, I just wanted to, because because this, this episode is the Greenslade story, I thought it would be a, a appropriate time just to talk a bit about Greenslade himself before yeah. we wrap up, if that's okay. Yeah, um, that's absolutely fine. Because there's, there's not a huge amount of information out there about him but I've, I've coupled together uh, from various sources, including um, give thanks to Duncan Gray for some of this information. He um, he wrote a fantastic article for the Goon Show Preservation Society magazine earlier this year to mark uh, Wall's 110th birthday. Whoa. Um, yeah, because uh, he was born 1st of July 1912 as Wallace Frederick Powers Greenslade. Wow. Um, <clears throat> born in Formby, uh, which I think is Liverpool, isn't it? Um, yes. Greenslade was married to a lady called Carol. That's all I can find out. I don't know if he had any children. I don't don't know if he did. Um, I can't find out. But he served as a lieutenant commander in the Royal Navy Reserve during the war. Okay. And and as a purser with the PO shipping line. And joined the BBC after the war as as an announcer. And by the end of the decade, he was a full-time staff announcer on the home service. Mm-hmm. He must have got popular enough that he actually had his own. He was a castaway on Desert Island Discs in right. December 52, which doesn't exist anymore, sadly, because uh, that would give a, a, a lot of information, I would imagine. It about would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, because you go on Wikipedia, there's very little information about him there. And, yes. Um, but, yeah, that would have been lovely to listen to him just being himself and and giving some detail about his 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 life. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. And and he, he turns up, he... Uh, joins the goon show in october 53 early on in the fourth series um starting with through the sound barrier in an airing cupboard um <laughs> replacing andrew timothy who decided to leave obviously um, right. and the earliest surviving recording with green slate on is from show 15 of the fourth series which is the missing prime minister okay, okay. yeah um and green slate himself made the news in september 54 so the Daily Mirror reported on his appearance in the Whistling Spy Enigma, which was the first of the fifth series. Mm. And it was the hundredth episode of the Goon Show as well. And in that show, I don't know if you remember, at the beginning of the Whistling Spy Enigma, Greenslade's appearance, he, 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 he's introduced wearing chains. Mr. Greenslade. <laughs> And the Daily Mirror, there's a headline titled Clank, Clank, it's nine o'clock Wallace again. Okay. <laughs> and the piece reads, I'll just read this out. Wallace Greenslade, the BBC announcer whose recording of last Wednesday's nine o'clock news caused such trouble, is on the air again tonight in the Goon Show's 100th programme. When the show was recorded on Sunday, the studio audience roared with laughter because Greenslade's first appearance at the microphone was accompanied by a loud clanking of chains. It's suggested in fun that the BBC were punishing him for his muddled reading of the news. <laughs> but, but as a result of this appearance, he has caused another spot of bother. British Equity, the Actors mm. Trade Union, has protested to the BBC because its variety department names him as two-ton Terence O'Toole in the Goon Show cast. Oh, equity, <laughs> equity, sorry, I can't say equity. Equity <laughs> has, uh, why can't I say that? Equity has an agreement yeah. with the BBC that announcers must not be billed as performers. And Mr. Greenslade's new oh. name appears in the Radio Times. <laughs> the BBC said last night, it's a slip on our part. We've been able to delete Mr. Greenslade's name from the cast given on the recording, but it was too late to alter the Radio Times. Okay. So yeah. um, 
<clears throat> so obviously that was a Daily Mirror article. Now his muddled reading of the news. Now I wonder what all that was about. And yeah, it wasn't that. This is the nine o'clock noise, was it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, Nick Reeve, who does the wonderful Seagoon Memoirs blog and is a former guest on this show, okay, he he did some digging, and um, <clears throat> he found this front page article from the Birmingham Daily Post from twenty third of September, nineteen fifty four. And the headline is BBC News Reader was nervous. Okay. Oh. That's the and it describes an unnamed news announcer um, <gasps> making a few errors while reading oh. the nine o'clock news nine o'clock news. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh one listener said that though the announcer's artic articulation was slow and deliberate, he made slips in introducing items which he corrected. He said <laughs> opposition for opposite direction rectifying the mistake immediately and later had difficulty in pronouncing the word association in reference to an association football result. Now I'm wondering whether there was some drink had been taken, to be honest, uh, possibly. <laughs> um, the Liverpool Echo on the same day named Greenslade as the announcer responsible. Um, he was duty reserve announcer for the day and was not scheduled to read the news. So it was obviously short notice and he wasn't prepared. Um, and he was actually, Greenslade was approached by the Liverpool Echo and asked about it and he said i felt slightly harassed but there were no fluffs at all everything went off all right okay right. okay so so he'd obviously gained a bit of a reputation for um at that period anyway for you know muddling up the news right. um <laughs> but i just like the fact you know that's it's, it's a little insight into into Greenslade there yeah um, but obviously from the fifth series of the goon show it it really moved up a gear and matured into the show that we all know and love today and mm. and obviously Spike and the other writers would be giving Wallace a lot more to do, and he you know frequently interrupt to plug the Radio Times. Mm. Um, he had his own fan club, the Greensladers. Wow. Um, he would often take on small roles where he had to adopt an accent, like a French accent, in uh, Napoleon's piano, for example. Yes, yes. And, and of course, he was the Phantom Head Shaver, of course. Of course, um, yeah. And <clears throat> in '54, he also started reading the news on BBC Television. Yeah, and he's so, so much more confident and more experienced by then. A safe pair of hands. Well, it was around this time. I mean, I just think maybe he he was he hadn't been prepared to read the news that night, and just maybe he'd had a drink or something. And right, you know, but, get him out of the pub and throw him on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could have been. Uh, but when he was on when he was on BBC TV, his shtick was to remove his spectacles at the end of each bulletin, whenever right. he finished reading. Um, and he was one of six regular announcers on BBC Radio, the others being Alva Liddell, who I mentioned before, mm. um, Douglas Smith. Now, do you know Douglas Smith? I don't think so. He's the announcer on Beyond Our Ken and later Round the Horn. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know his voice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My dad was very much into Round the Horn as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the others were Robin Holmes, Alexander Moyes and Colin Doran. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and typically... Oh, this, this surprised me. Typically, Greenslade would complete his goon show responsibilities by 9.30 p.m. on Sundays and go straight from the Camden Theatre to Broadcasting House to read news bulletins, uh, make continuity announcements. And often he would work six days on, three days off, and sometimes sleep at Broadcasting House. Oh, right. Um, and as I said, his boss was, as BBC radio announcer, was John Snag. Um, he also was the announcer on a show called The Great Gil Hooley, which is lost right. to the sands of time. Okay, um, yeah. Variety Playhouse. And he'd started working on the Today programme when he actually died. Because um, um, he died, officially he died suddenly at his home in, in Surrey in yeah. April six, April 61, age 48, which is my yeah, age it's, now. It's uh, incredibly young, Tyler. Uh, uh, yes, thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> and although Roger Lewis claims he died in the pub toilet. Is that, oh, yeah. no. There's Poor that fella. Room. Oh dear. Um, and um, he was buried. There was a funeral service at St Mary's Oatlands near Weybridge, and he was buried at Brooklands Lane Cemetery, Weybridge. And at the subsequent memorial service, uh, John Snag gave an address. Um, and I saw a front page of the Evening Express announcing his death from 1961, from from that day in 1961. Um, and he gets. He gets a column on the front page with a picture. Okay. Mm. Um, but <laughs> he's surrounded by some quite lurid headlines. Okay. Oh, no. such, such as 
naked body was under staircase. <laughs> Lordy. Three fishermen aghast. <gasps> and Queen is 35 today. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a mixed bag that day. Yes. New, News-wise. <clears throat> um, but I'd just like to end this little sort of tribute to, to Wallace with um, this lovely little piece that I, I picked up. There was an article in the Radio Times in March 1958, and it says, it is not quite the usual sort of BBC announcement, yet the voice which makes it has still that calm dignity that we expect of a BBC announcer. This, says the voice, is the BBC Home Service. Mm. It, may not, it may not be much, but it's home to me. Perhaps the voice is even a little more dignified than usual, as though its owner, realising that at any moment he may be beset by the unexpected, is determined to uphold his proper station come what may. He may be standing on the fringe of lunacy, but he is calm in the faith of his own importance. Nothing, he seems to be saying to himself, must shake him. Let those undisciplined sprites, the goons, do their worst. He, Wallace Greenslade, will be true to BBC traditions. Ah. Oh. Oh. Yeah, because you, you think this is going out, uh, you know, this sort of, they represent Britain in a way, don't they? This yes. sort of, the announcers, they're in people's homes and people have a relationship with that person. Um, yep. and, and this is going out all around the world, you yep. know, on the home service. So this is, this is a repre representation of the, you know, the stoic, you know, steady Britain. Yes. So people, you know, it would have been a big deal when he passed away and a real yeah. shock as well they must have been very shocked by all of that the the, the boys the goons as well yep hmm. indeed so there we go so yeah. um so donna thank you so much for joining me it's been so enjoyable um, oh you're welcome and uh it's it's always nice to have um, someone new on the show and someone with such enthusiasm and knowledge oh. as well <laughs> thank you very much tyler it's been really great i've really enjoyed it i'm gonna go and raid my dad's record collection again and put a few goon episodes on today that's torture sharp let's you burke <laughs> <laughs>